Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Arthur Snell. A major war is taking place on the European continent with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, bringing you a series of special episodes to help you understand the crisis as it unfolds. This is Doomsday Watch. Welcome back to Doomsday Watch. We hope you're finding these war bulletins valuable. A quick reminder that you can support our work on the crowdfunding app Patreon from as little as £3 per month. Just search Patreon Doomsday Watch or follow the link in the show notes. Here at Doomsday Watch, we're trying to bring you the story behind the story, fresh angles and deeper analysis on this conflict that you won't find on the news channels. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has changed international relations for many countries, India, a rising power with a tradition of non-alignment, has tried to maintain a neutral stance, abstaining on a crucial vote to condemn Russia at the UN. This has come under considerable pressure as the casualties from Russia's invasion continue to mount. So, what explains India's stance and what does it hope to achieve? To help us answer these questions, I'm delighted to be joined from New Delhi by Harsh Pant, Professor of International Relations at King's College London's India Institute. Harsh, thank you so much for agreeing to speak to Doomsday Watch. Starting with a very basic question, how would you characterise India's approach and response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Uh, I think, Arthur, as you mentioned, it's, there's, a, there's a degree of caution in India's approach, uh, primarily because uh, uh, India has had great ties with the West since the end of the Cold War, and in particular in the last few years, in 2014, uh, with Mr. Modi being the Prime Minister, he has sh- sort of shaken away the historical associations with India's traditional non-aligned status and moved India considerably closer to the U.S., Uh, by signing uh, significant defense uh, agreements with the U.S. And of course, in recent years, we have seen the emergence of this quadrilateral dialogue with India, Australia, Japan, and the U.S. in the Indo-Pacific. So I think what this crisis does is, in fact, it brings it all out and and exposes India's vulnerabilities because despite its close ties with with the West, with the U.S. in particular, India remains heavily reliant on Russia for defense supplies. 50 to 60% of India's defense inventory is of Russian vintage. And I think the challenge is how do you balance it out now when there's a crisis where both sides want you to take sides? That's very interesting that this is about India's reliance on Russian defense exports. And so does that mean then that Russia's energy exports are less of a factor here for India? Uh, yes, yes, they are less of a factor. In fact, in recent years, India has been trying to develop a relationship around energy with Russia, but it has not yet reached a kind of an inflection point yet. But, uh, you know, when, when you look at India, India-Russia relationship, it is it is historical in nature throughout the Cold War. The two countries are very close to each other, uh, but it is largely unidimensional at the moment, which is primarily focused on defense. Right. 
As you noted, uh, Prime Minister Modi, who of course is a arguably a sort of transformational figure, whatever one's opinion of him, in, in Indian politics, uh, has has moved India much closer to Western powers. And arguably, that reflects a wider agenda of his, which is to sort of put the the entire colonial uh, period way behind him. And, you know, India is moving into a new era and some of his own domestic policies with relation to uh, India's secular traditions and so on are also being put behind him. Um, so I'm interested to know uh, how, in a domestic context, uh, does that tension appear to be playing out between India under Modi uh, having this better relationship with the West, with America, with, with with other Western countries, the quadrilateral dialogue that you spoke about, and then at the same time, in the context of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, certainly in the UK, I think you would you would struggle to find people who are sympathetic to Russia's position uh, in the general public. So to the extent that the, the Indian public is taking an interest, uh, how do you think that is playing out in India? Uh, it's it's rather interesting, Arthur, because you know when Russia started positioning its troops around Ukraine, and in fact, even uh, during, uh, you know, you can go back to the Crimea annexation uh, in 2014, uh, where there was a different government at that particular point in time in India. They uh, also took a similar position, uh, defending Russian position based on its legitimate interests. Uh, I think when, when it started off uh, with Russia positioning its troops, expressing an interest in redefining or renegotiating the security architecture in, in Europe, I think there was a lot of sympathy, public sympathy as well as governmental sympathy with Russia. Uh, the issue was that, look, uh, Russia has genuine interests and those genuine interests uh, need to be catered to by the West, by NATO, by by European Union, uh, and perhaps uh, the the two sides can negotiate a new regional order where some interests of, of Russia would be protected uh, and preserved, and perhaps that would lead to a more uh, more stable regional order in Europe. At least that was the hope. Yeah. So I think uh, you know that sympathy uh, I think uh, was there, and and but the moment Russia crossed the line and when Russia invaded. I think uh, what we have seen is that as this conflict has dragged on with, with open aggression, you know, not only is, is there is public displeasure being expressed more and more, but also Indian government becoming increasingly, uh, uh, you know, uncomfortable with the position it has been put put into. Because now, of course, this question that, that we started off with is how do you balance your relations with both sides? Uh, you know, uh, that, that becomes of primary importance and, and, and diplomatic balancing act becomes of primary importance. And I think in all this, there is this larger presence of China in, in, in this whole equation, which is, I think, in some ways, the driver of Indian foreign policy today, and which also constrains India's options vis-a-vis Russia. Because, uh, you know, whatever your views within the domestic politics uh, in India about Russia and, and Russian aggression, I think the larger problem that India faces is that uh, India's relations with China have come to an inflection point And Indian forces, of course, are eyeball to eyeball with Chinese forces along the international border. Ironically, perhaps India is the only country that needs both Russia and the West on its side. Uh, because with Russia, there is a short-term problem of that 
if you rely on Russia for your defense supplies, you really cannot give up that in a jiffy. You know, it's a long-term proposal of reducing the dependence on, on Russia. But, yeah. but, and with, with, the, with, the, with the US, with Western countries, with European countries playing a larger role in the Indo-Pacific, that's a long-term issue for India that you need to bring like-minded countries in the Indo-Pacific uh, in working uh, and ensuring there is a stable balance of power. So I think India really is in a difficult position vis-a-vis both of its uh, partners. Yes. And I'm very glad you mentioned China because there is a genuine uh, sort of military standoff. Happily, it's not a it's, it's not a live conflict. But India has quite a complex set of territorial, unresolved territorial uh, disputes with some of its neighbours, China, Pakistan. So one of the challenges is whether or not support for Russia, or or at least the avoidance of heavy condemnation of Russia, can be seen to have implications for some of these other unresolved territorial questions on India's periphery. Yes, it is. And and I think that's something that if you see India's statements on Ukraine, they have evolved. And as as things moved on, uh, India has been more and more vocal about how territorial integrity, sovereignty need to be the bedrock of whatever resolution is to be found of this crisis, Uh, as well as India has increased its uh, humanitarian aid to Ukraine. Prime Minister Modi talked about the need to immediately cease hostilities and to come to a diplomatic resolution and regretting the fact that uh, that diplomacy was not given a chance that was primarily aimed at Russia. So I think there is is an evolution in Indian thinking, uh, Indian response partly because of the uh, of the consequences that may follow uh, if if this becomes a trend because india as you, as you were pointing out has a lot of uh, problems with regard to uh, territorial sovereignty issues uh, around the periphery so on the one hand you have this problem and on the other you have the, you have an operational problem of uh, of uh, managing china at the border militarily uh, and in 2020, when the, this crisis escalated and when there was violence along the border, one of the first visits that Indian defense minister made was to Russia, just to ensure that Russia would not cut off defense supplies. Therefore, for India, it is important that channels of communication remain open with Russia, that Russia is not pushed into taking a position where it has, where, where Russia has to choose between China and India. So I think there are challenges all around and therefore uh, many policymakers in India, I think most policymakers in India would not be relishing the fact that there is a crisis like this that they're having to deal with uh, precisely at a point when uh, when they're, they're vulnerable vis-a-vis China uh, along the border and, and militarily. How about Pakistan? Of course, uh, historically, India's relationship with and its over time, conflicts with Pakistan have also been at the centre of its defence and foreign policy. Pakistan has its own intense and complex relationship with Russia. How is that viewed from New Delhi? I think throughout, you know, throughout the Cold War, Arthur, they, uh, it, it was India that was the most important partner in South Asia for Russia. Pakistan really did not have uh, a role in, in Soviet uh, foreign policy uh, matrix. What is, you know, what is now happening is, and and also Russia's engagement with China as well, that because of close Russia-China ties and because of close uh, Pakistan-China ties, there are some suggestions that Russia is also flirting with Pakistan, if only uh, to make a case to India that, look, if, uh, you know, if India can get closer to, to the West, uh, Russia can also get closer to, to, uh, to Pakistan. However, 
given the huge role that India plays in the defense sector, uh, as far as Russia is concerned, uh, Russia is also very cautious when it comes to engaging Pakistan. So the recent visit of Mr. Khan, which was not very well timed the day he landed, uh, Mr. Putin had declared the invasion. Uh, however, uh, again, the, the, the you know the trend lines are such that uh, that for for for. Uh, Pakistan, given its isolation from the West and given that America is not really paying much attention to Pakistan, Russia is an added attraction. And of course, Russia being a friend of China makes Russia uh, somewhat even more attractive than it was in the past. Harsh. One of the uh, other challenges is, I imagine, the ability of the Russian economy to continue to uh, have an effective and responsive defence export sector may be under question. Do you think that's an issue with with the very intense sanctions that are now being put on to Russia? Uh, Yes, certainly. I think if the present trends continue, then this is certainly something that India will have to worry about. Replacing defense vendors is a long-term process. Uh, India has been trying to do this since the end of the Cold War. During the Cold War, India was almost 80 to 85% dependent on Russia. But still, uh, over the last three decades, three and a half decades, we have seen, uh, despite all the efforts, the decline has been relatively small. From 80 to 85%, we are now around 60%. So I think the the, the challenge here for India is, is that as the situation drags on, and as the ability of Russia to uh, to focus on its defense manufacturing changes, what what might happen to India's own requirements? And that's a that's a conversation that is beginning to happen in India. Yeah. And of course, as part of that, I assume is uh, Prime Minister Modi's own uh, agenda of uh, I think it was called Make in India, but presumably uh, this could be a, a springboard to to enhance and expand that. Indeed, indeed. I think uh, if anything, uh, this this idea of of make in India, uh, you know, self reliant India, uh, this is something that is uh, that is going to get a big boost uh, because of this crisis. Uh, and we have already seen, uh, you know, during the COVID period, if the realization that over dependence on China is is not healthy. I think this crisis for India is an eye opener in the in terms of having so much dependence on Russia that uh, that you are not able to articulate even things that perhaps you would have articulated if you were not that dependent. That kind of a strategic autonomy that India so desires uh, yeah. is is now not not really in action. So this crisis will certainly push that agenda even further and even more aggressively uh, for for Prime Minister Modi and his government. So I suppose we must talk about China. Uh, If Russia becomes increasingly isolated globally, uh, it is sort of forced into a new relationship with China. That then puts more pressure on India, which, of course, has has this constant, as you say, this constant need to manage the threat of China. Uh, So how how do you see that situation playing out in, in coming months and years? Irrespective of this conflict, uh, I think serious observers of Russia-China relationship would certainly uh, tell you that look, the two the two countries are certainly coming closer together. There is, you know, uh, and and India in particular has seen some of the consequences of that in real in, in real time. Uh, for example, even more than China, it is Russia that has been a vocal opponent of this this concept of the Indo-Pacific. 
And uh, and Russians have been actually uh, coming to India and uh, openly, publicly telling India that you should not get into this uh, Indo-Pacific space that are increasingly critical to India, uh, to India's own imagination of its role uh, in global politics, be it the Indo-Pacific or be it its, its, its role in the quadrilateral security dialogue or be it its engagement with the West. So I think there is no doubt, the, uh, you know, when it comes to the Indian policymaking community that uh, India-Russia relationship is undergoing a change, partly because uh, the frame through which Russia and China are largely looking at their foreign policy priorities is through the anti-Western prism. As India has gravitated towards the West, Russia has gravitated towards China, and there is a larger geopolitical construct uh, in the Indo-Pacific, in the in the in, in Eurasia, where India and Russia largely stand on the opposite sides of the spectrum. So, as I think, uh, you know, India because of this conflict, now it's more than likely that Russians and Chinese would get even more closer. Uh, and uh, and I think yes. there the challenge for India would be: uh, Can India afford uh, you know that closeness, and can India still have that window open with the Russians that it it was striving so hard for? Because for them, uh, Russia and China getting together is perhaps one of the worst nightmares. Every time Russia and the West have. Uh, you know, uh, have been openly antagonistic. China has gained, and that has not been good for India. Uh, as an as yeah. an anecdote, uh, you know, it was in 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis when when the Russians and the and the Americans were engaged with each other. Uh, China decided to uh, target India, so the big 62 war with India happened. So I think there is a there is a historical context here as well uh, that I think many in India uh, keep a close eye on. So, so China is very, very important in, in that larger sort of triangle between Russia, uh, China and the US and what it does to Indian Indian interests. Well, that, that's a fascinating uh, uh, reference there about the correlation of the Cuban Missile Crisis and then, and then the, the war in, in the Himalayan region. Um, I wonder then, as we look forward, it, it feels as if what's happening is you, you, what you've described is there has been a long term realignment or certainly uh, reorientation of India's foreign policy positioning. And of course, what appears to be happening is that this conflict, as conflicts often do, is accelerating that process. But coming back to sort of something you mentioned at the start, of course, India was a a primary uh, player in the non-aligned movement. To what extent is there something of a taboo in Indian politics of being overly aligned with Western countries, because, of course, India has its own proud history of independence, of being a global power, of, of putting its colonial uh, experience behind it. Do you, is there a sort of limit to this alignment? Uh, yes, there is a limit. I think Indian Indian politics is very uncomfortable with the idea of alliances, open alliances. And I think, and I very much doubt whether, uh, and uh, you know, uh, the kind of alliance relationships uh, that America, for example, has with Europe or with uh, countries in the Indo-Pacific like Japan or Australia, that would ever happen with India. But I think what has happened is because of the structural pressures on India, differences that have grown between uh, China and India in terms of capabilities and the security pressures that are emanating from that, that have meant that some of this, uh, you know, some of this ideological baggage uh, can be shed. 
So, for example, in uh, Mr. Modi's predecessor, Dr. Manmohan Singh, uh, when he was prime minister, he moved ahead with the nuclear deal with the Americans, civilian nuclear deal with with the US, which was a landmark deal in in some ways, one of the most important impediments to their relationship, which was a nuclear non-proliferation question, could be overcome. Um, because the two realize that they have to work together for the for the larger regional uh, uh, you know security uh, setup. Uh, similarly, uh, under Mr. Modi, whatever has happened is there are a lot of these foundational military agreements yeah. that they have been signed. Uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of reluctance and there was a lot of debate in India, but ultimately Mr. Modi went ahead and signed that. Uh, and then he uh, he went to the U.S. Congress and said that uh, hesitations of history are over. But I think when the question comes about uh, you know having an open alliance engagement op- you know having a having an alliance relationship i think there the i think most indian governments would find it very difficult to to move the needle and therefore what they are now talking about is uh, is these issue based coalitions so if certain issues uh, generate a certain kind of consensus among a group of countries, they are willing to join those coalitions rather than always being outside it. But I think all this will happen in, a, in, a, in an informal setup. It won't be a formal alliance structures. And that, I think, uh, will um, ensure that India's reactions at times will be different from, say, the reaction of alliance partners. So, for, for example, Japan or Australia taking a position on Ukraine uh, uh, as part of Quad uh, will be different from what India India does there, and which is, I think, what we are witnessing at the moment. A final area, um, Harsh, if, if, if I may, I'd, I'd really like to get your views on, is the question of cultural political issues. So it seems to me possible to draw certain similarities in a kind of identity-based politics, which is quite strongly nationalistic, which we see with Putin's approach with Russia and of course, Prime Minister Modi, it was, I'm not making any accusation about military adventurism, but in terms of the sort of cultural approach, uh, a strongly nationalist, Hindu nationalist approach. So is, is there, in spite of the very understandable disquiet that India has in terms of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, is there still some sort of uh, overlap in terms of a vision of how nations, you know, lead their own pol- political uh, futures? Well, uh, I do, you know, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, it is, uh, India has been more or less uh, very reluctant most of the time to uh, use nationalism uh, to serve its foreign policy agenda. Most of the time, not always, but most of the time we have not seen India expressing it outwardly. Internally, of course, it's a different dynamic. I would just like to point one aspect here, which was at the height of the COVID crisis, in the initial phase of the COVID crisis, uh, you know, most of the world was uh, looking inwards, including the developed world. India's primary, yes. from the very beginning, Indian prime minister was saying that, look, this is a global crisis. It has to be resolved globally. The word for the world is one family. Uh, quoting that and saying that, look, right. this is, you know, this is something that India can't deal on its own. We can create barriers for ourselves, but we won't be able to resolve this. Similarly, the Western world can create barriers for itself, but they won't be able to resolve it. And I think that has been, uh, you know, a part of his his approach, whether calling, uh, you know, G20 meetings or, or or even uh, vaccines which are accessible. I mean, India is, along with South Africa, is fighting for intellectual property waiver yes. uh, on, on vaccine. Uh, and, and, and I don't right. think, uh, irrespective of who is in power, that would change. Well, that's very interesting because I think there's a lot of people in the West look at the internal dynamics of Indian politics and perhaps 
they externalize that. And it seems that you're saying that those are actually two quite separate factors. Yeah, even, even with the, the, the Hindu nationalists that are in power, the BJP and sister organizations, uh, I do not see or hear anything which tells me that, look, they are going to externalize the, the way they look at India internally into, into something of an outward projection, if at all. So I think it's it's been a slightly different focus where religious uh, and religion religious identity of India tied in, whether it is a Buddhist engagement in Southeast Asia or the historical Hindu connectivity across Southeast Asia. But I don't see that being, uh, you know, being externalized in the way perhaps uh, as looking as this is this is Indian sphere of influence. Uh, and, and therefore, this needs to be projected even through the hard power lens. Great. Thank you. Uh, my final question would be uh, just for, for your views on how you feel this crisis is going to play out. Obviously, from an Indian perspective and in India's sort of international uh, policy stance, uh, if this war grinds into some kind of stalemate, one, is there a role for for India as an intermediary, as a power, as a global power that has not necessarily taken sides? But also, is there a point where India might be trying to encourage uh, a, a meeting between Russia and Ukraine, and perhaps an agreement that that that, that Ukraine might you know, seed the loss of Crimea, for example, you know, is, is there a role like that for India? Uh, I would think there is. And I, and I think Mr. Modi um, would certainly like to play that role if, uh, if he thinks that that might uh, be worth worth his while. Uh, and, and, and I think, and I, and I also think, you know, even more than China, perhaps it is India, which will have the comfort, uh, uh, you know, comfort, which will be more comfortable with both the Western interlocutors as well as the Russian ones. Uh, so I, I do see that, that there can potentially be a role for India. And we have, we, are, we have already seen, for example, increasingly, Mr. Modi speaking to uh, Mr. Putin, he's increasingly making it, making he's trying to ensure that the, the moment he speaks to, uh, to, to Russian president, he also speaks to the Ukrainian president. So I think he's trying to balance it out, right. op, you know, in, in terms of optics as well. Uh, but I think whichever way this, you know, this, this conflict pans out, the fundamental reality of Indian politics, Indian foreign policy, is that India is drifting away from Russia and India is drifting to, uh, towards the West. Uh, and that is something that is a long term trend. Uh, I don't see uh, you know, how India with its unidimensional Russia policy, Russia engagement, can sustain a relationship with Russia, uh, which means that uh, there are in growing concerns in India about the way Russia is positioning itself on the global stage. Having Russia as a friend helps India, but I think increasingly there is a sense that there are also significant costs attached to it. And the trend lines are very clear. We have seen over the last three decades, India moving away from Russia and Russia, of course, moving closer to China. And these trends are likely to uh, even get stronger after after this conflict. Well, that feels like a a perfect place to uh, stop this discussion. Harshpant, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your insights on a really important aspect of this conflict, which I think very few people have had a chance to access, which is that wider world and and, and the role of of wider great powers uh, as they see the events unfold in Ukraine. Thank you, Arthur. (laughs) 
We hope you find these war bulletins valuable amongst the huge amount of information out there. So don't forget to subscribe and help spread the word by rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other app that has ratings. And if you really like the show, you can support us on the crowdfunding app Patreon. You'll get the shows early, ad-free, and help shape future episodes, all from as little as £3 per month. Just search Patreon Doomsday Watch or follow the link in the show notes. Special thanks to Patreon supporter Bern Stringer, whose idea it was to analyse this conflict from a different angle by looking at India's approach. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.